Hello, you're listening to Wine Blast with me, Susie Barry, and my husband and fellow Master of Wine, Peter Richards. Okay, so here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is our 11th episode. Do you think there's a podcasting equivalent of the seven-year itch? <laughs> you know, and, and if so, just bear with me. If so, what is it? You know, do we uh, suddenly get the urge to run off with other podcasters? Is that the thing? Or or do we take the more sort of male approach, which is, you know, sort of keep things fresh in the relationship by just gently tinkering with the format? Uh, it's, it's an odd question. <laughs> I, I kind of hope you're not actually trying to say something about our marriage. But I think, I certainly hope, this, uh, this may just be your way of building up to the fact that we've got a slightly different format for this show. How right you are. Do you ever get bored of being right? Anyway, um, as, as you absolutely rightly say, this episode is going to be a bit different from the normal Wine Survivor Guide special editions. Um, we're going a bit off-piste, a bit, a bit freestyle. Oh, a bit tall and ding. <laughs> that sounds like rhyming slang or something really rude. Um, I'm just going to move on. Uh, I'm thinking Bolero now. Um, but no, it's, it's, we're doing something different for a serious reason. That was my point. It's not frivolous, like... Sometimes it can be on the podcast. Uh, we have a very serious reason for doing something a bit different with this format, yeah, don't we? Yeah, in, in this episode, we, we wanted to hone in on South Africa. But what we're going to do is flip things around and start off with the, the fun bits, mm. the bits we kind of usually finish yeah. with. Uh, and in that, we're going to celebrate just how good South African wines are these days, um, as well as um, my favourite bit, having a, a cheeky barbecue, hey. or should we say braai. Mm. Uh, but then quite quickly, we're going to get down to the more, I guess, sober business of hearing about what is an extremely difficult set of circumstances at the moment in the Cape. Words such as catastrophic, crisis uh, and ruin were all used by the producers we'll hear from. But first, um, the fun bit. Uh, And I guess it's one way we can all support these outstanding producers in what is, did you know, the world's eighth largest wine producing and exporting nation? I did have to check that. Uh, I probably needed reminding. But anyway, we know it's one of the big players. It is, and and in quantity, but also quality. Um, And the way we can support them, of course, is, is very simple, the way that wine lovers always do. And that's by buying, drinking and enjoying their wines. We, we, we can do that, can't we? I think we're an altruistic bunch, aren't we? Of course <laughs> we can do it's that. It's within all of our skill sets. <laughs> so, so, so let's dive in. Right, so to tie in with the South African theme, we thought <laughs> we would explore the joys of nature, hence all the sounds, um, and do a barbecue. I know. Well, the thing is, it's such, it's such beautiful weather, and... What could be more South African than than a, a barbecue? Yeah, but we or, have to call it a braai. We have to call it a braai. Braai, Now, uh, I'm sure um, all the African speakers will be writing and saying we're pronouncing it wrong and we, we're doing it we wrong. We will definitely be pronouncing it wrong. And we probably are. But it's, a, it's, it's thought that counts. We're getting the spirit of things here. We're, we're in, in the natural world, experiencing the glories of the natural world. It's just such a lovely day, isn't it? Had a few drinks already, as you can probably tell. And we're barbecuing. So we've got some lovely stuff to put on the barbecue, including some lovely lamb. Lamb, salsa verde. Salsaverde, marinated lamb, yes. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, and then we're going to go inside. We've we just been a little, reading up on brides, haven't we, a little bit online? We, we had to check them out. We did. Bit, and we I found really the phrase, the bring and braai. <laughs> Which I absolutely, I thought that was lovely. I thought that was fantastic. It's very good. It and you found good. one you liked too. Yeah. There, there's, there's one, this is more drinks related, you see. Chop and dop. Chop, chop and dop. Chop and dop. So you, you bring your chop, 
but the dop is the most important thing and that's apparently apparently the drink now i'm probably going to be proved wrong here but so that would be that would be a barbecue in which the drink is more important the drink is way more important would you classify our bright in those terms looking at the way that that meat might be burning right now yes <laughs> well let's go, let's go and, let's, let's go and get the it. drinks ready come on then <laughs> So what we've got in front of us is a well, a perfectly cooked, not not in any way burnt. <laughs> are you trying to are you trying to save my feelings? <laughs> it's a little bit caramelised, uh, barbecued <laughs> leg of lamb that was marinated with salsa verde, mm. and then we've got mm. some tomato and mozzarella salad and some lovely roasted Jersey Royals, and of course some red wine. Yeah, we have gone red now. We could have equally gone white, and I think this is really important. Now I'm going to pour at the same time as talking. Oh, thank you. One useful thing. So, at any one time. Um, we could have gone white. We love barbecued seafood, uh, don't we? we do. uh, it's absolutely do, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, we could sure have gone white, partly because South Africa is arguably stronger on whites than reds. Surprisingly, mm. I think, in many ways. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, old vine, Chenin Blanc, Riesling, yeah. Sauvignon, Chardonnay, Semillon, those old lovely sort of white Rhone varieties I mean, they, they have. They do it all, don't they? They're, they're, they're magicians with these white varieties. So yeah. South African white, amazing. Do try it. You know, apparently white varieties account for 55% of the national vineyard, which may also, and a lot of More those are white old. than red. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe some of it was used for, for brandy. I don't know. But yeah. uh, even Sadi, who I was uh, talking to recently in the Cape when I visited, one of, the, one of the greatest producers in the Cape, he's got a great line, which is, white is the new red. Which means essentially we're not in the least bit trendy because we've just opened two bottles of red wine. We're way behind but the curve, you go. but we do there that happily. We're, we're used to that. <laughs> Old-fashioned yeah. things we are. Uh, so we've got two bottles of red, very, mm. very contrasting South African red mm. wines. The first is uh, Newton Johnson Pinot Noir from Walker Bay. Mm. So a sort of slightly cool climate Pinot Noir, 13.5% alcohol. It's £16 from the Wine Society. And it is just lovely. It's pale as I firmly believe Pinot Noir should be and it's just full of kind of forest floor and plum and and gamey notes that you and smells and characteristics that you just really want from a great Pinot. It's super elegant isn't it and it was about 16 pounds wasn't yeah, it? And 16 I think pounds. that meant that you know I remember trying it and thinking it's not the cheapest but I'm we have to buy this because it's just so elegant and you did beautiful. I, and, and I did um, and it's oh it's absolutely delicious and what's nice with the lamb is it, is it acts like a complete counterpoint it's really refreshing isn't it yeah 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 it is, it and, is. And, 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 and lamb quite a delicate meat even though it's slightly um, you know well done <coughs> yeah, 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 it's, yeah you know moving on it's anyway. still a delicate meat and, and you need it, a, it often goes with white wine quite well doesn't it, it lamb does, and so it does. a light red works it's, really well I mean it's very versatile because our other red obviously that, that does go beautifully with it is a totally different style mm. of wine. This is an iconic South African wine. It is the Mirlust 2009 Rubicon. Now, this is a kind of Bordeaux blend. So you've got Cabernet Sauvignon in there, some Merlot, some Cabernet Franc and Petit Verdot. And it is the minute I smelt this when, when we opened it just now and, and took a smell... It's just sublime. It blows you away, full of mint and, and cedar and dark, inky fruit, but pure and elegant. I, got, I could go on forever and bore everybody to tears with this. Oh, carry on. I'm quite, <laughs> quite enjoying it. No, I, mean, it, it is, I think it's fair to say that almost Bordeaux, the Bordeaux varieties have almost sort of fallen out of favour at the moment in the Cape. There's a real big rush to sort of Mediterranean varieties and Burgundy and that kind of thing. Yeah. But when you come across a great Bordeaux blend from South Africa, it is stunning. And this, as you say, it's just so stylish and classy. This is a classic. It's a classic. You, you smell it, you could be in Bordeaux almost, but then you get that lovely sort of richness and spice and energy. And I think it's, yeah, absolutely gorgeous. Um, it did pain me getting that out of our cellar, I'd say. It's one of those bottles, you know it's going to be nice when it slightly pains you to reach in and We're take it out. We're enjoying it. 
Why not? Right. Yeah, so the 2009 it. is probably very difficult to get hold of now, but certainly the 2014 and 2016 are around and they're about 25 to £30, pounds, which I would say is unbelievable value yeah, I agree money. and that's a really good point to highlight between say 12 and, and 30 35 pounds South Africa it's not cheap but it offers amazing value so well great stuff. now we have got one other final thing have we a have, treat which we, we, which we, we didn't really us. just take two bottles out of the cellar did we I think it's rare we can only take two bottles out of our stash <laughs> and so we've got a lovely sweet wine as well this is the Paul Kluver Elgin Riesling Noble Late Harvest 2014 it's a half bottle it's only 11% and it's only 11% yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Love. <laughs> lovely to, to finish on a lighter note but it's just I mean it's golden in hue we actually have I think originally got this one from Marks and Spencers when they were yeah. still selling it, but yeah. it's not cheap. It's about twenty quid these days for the half. But oh, it's so it's good. unbelievable. So good to make it smells like always. orange marmalade and honey, doesn't it? And just a delicious mm. way to finish any meal. Yeah, and just I think a slight indication of just how diverse things are in the Cape. Beautiful wines, so much to explore. Absolutely amazing. As exciting as the wines definitely are, there's equally no doubting the very shocking and challenging situation the South African wine industry currently finds itself in. Of course, this situation is going to change, but we wanted to offer a a snapshot in time in late April 2020 at a time when all transportation, sale and export of South African wine have been banned by the government under notably strict coronavirus lockdown regulations. By way of brief context, the South African government was quick to react to the coronavirus pandemic as it spread around the world, perhaps as a result of its uh, painful experiences with other epidemics, including HIV AIDS. President Cyril Ramaphosa introduced social distancing measures on the 15th of March, followed by a national lockdown on the 27th of March. Now, while many people are quick to praise the government's action from a purely health perspective, the wine industry has been hard hit. Initially, the government banned work in vineyards and wineries right at the culmination of the 2020 harvest, a potentially catastrophic scenario for producers. Last minute efforts by the the wine lobby did see these restrictions lifted, but only for yet another ban on the sale, transportation and export of wine to come into place on April the 16th. And needless to say, the wine industry is up in arms. Uh, It's cellar door sales and and wine tourism, one of the best established and, and most popular such scenes in the world, are all shut down. Costs, meanwhile, continue to rack up. And and, and all of this now with no income. According to a recent study, South African wine employs around 300,000 people, both directly and indirectly, and more than 50% of its annual production is exported. Um, Some say the industry has lost £27 million worth in a month. Uh, with more than a thousand containers stuck at the docks. So this is a nervous and fearful time for everyone invested in South African wine. We should say there have been accusations that the government's actions have been politically motivated, a a kind of score settling, if you like, born out of long-term resentment from the ruling ANC toward the Western Cape and the damaging effects of excess alcohol consumption across the country. Anyway, on the 23rd of April... President Ramaphosa did announce there would be a phased easing of the lockdown from level five to level four from Friday the 1st of May, shortly after this episode goes out. But there is still very little clarity right now on the on the long term, short term and long term future for South African wine producers or indeed how they're going to bounce back after these, quite frankly, unprecedented challenges. 
To get a feel for what's actually happening on the ground, we spoke to three producers on, ironically, Freedom Day, a national holiday in South Africa to commemorate the first post-apartheid elections held in 1994. First up is Cathy Jordan, co-owner with her husband Gary of Jordan Wine Estate in Stellenbosch, for which 2020 is the 29th vintage. They also co-own the restaurant High Timber in London, as well as a property and vineyard in East Sussex, uh, where they'll shortly be making English gin and sparkling wine. Did you know that? I did not. Mm, there you go. Uh, anyway, I started by asking her how things are in South Africa. Okay, so if anyone's been following the press in South Africa, obviously it's been very strict. Um, President Ramaphosa was very quick to get onto a lockdown, which is fantastic because South Africa has a big population of quite vulnerable people in that many people have AIDS um, without antiretroviral um, drugs, or they have um, TB, and we, they're living in very close communities. So if the virus got in, it would spread like wildfire. So it's very important that he acted very quickly. I think it was something like three weeks from the first case to the lockdown. So that's pretty, pretty good going. Now, he has acted quickly, obviously, um, and that has many good sides to it. But obviously, the government's approach to wine has been uh, not altogether well received. Could you just uh, talk us through that side of things as well? Yes, that's obviously been a big problem, um, being in the wine industry. The first um, hurdle was that they actually said no more harvesting could continue for 2020. Now, anyone who's ever worked in a cellar, you know you don't just close the door, lock it and walk away. Even if you've brought your grapes in, you've got to manage it. It's, it's the busiest time of the year. So luckily, it was literally at the 11th hour, because I think he announced that, it was clo that the lockdown was happening. I think it was a Monday he announced that it was going to happen from midnight on Thursday. And then literally the wine industry bodies had to just spring into action. They fought it, and luckily they agreed to allow the 2020 vintage to be finished. So you were able yes. to finish the 2020 the second, vintage, yes. but then I mean, there was I, another uh, decree that uh, wine could be shipped, but then suddenly it couldn't be transported, meant that effectively yes. all exports and sale were banned. So they, they were very strict. They, um, they, brought, they deployed the, the, um, the National Defence Force, the army, um, to make sure that there was no unrest. And they said no cigarettes sold and no alcohol at all. So um, the, wine, the industry wine bodies... Um, they also managed to allow um, exports to happen again because they said no exports out of the harbour of wine, which obviously is a crisis because you have a, a certain market in Europe, even though it's, everything's changed in Europe and, and the UK and everywhere, people are still drinking wine, they're shipping it through the internet, they're buying online, they're getting wine in some form. And suddenly if South Africa's um, wine industry dries up in Europe, it's a major problem in the months to come. Um, so what effect the, has this had on you financially as a winery, um, not being able to export well, in this time? Yes, I mean, literally the tap was turned off for everything because we have not only do we produce wine for local and overseas consumption. Um, we usually sell more wine locally than overseas, but it's sort of a, a 50, 55, 45 type of thing. Um, but not only was there no wine sales, but um, we have two restaurants on the property, a very popular tasting room, accommodation, and literally that all dried up as well. So it's, it's pretty critical. And um, for most wine farms, it will be critical. And we'll, we'll see only at the end as to how many have managed to survive. 
you think this will be an extinction event for some? It will be the end of the road for some wineries. They won't be able to carry on. Um, well, it depends. It depends on what what sort of um, resources they had to start with, as how they how long we can manage. Who knows how long this will go on for? Finally, um, different shifting the tone slightly. What have you been doing to to, to lighten the mood? Um, well, obviously, you have to stay positive. You know, uh, people always say um, in good things, nothing stays the same. Basically, change is one definite thing you can always know about. And um, nothing stays always good and nothing is always bad. So we just have to get through it um, on, on what positive things are happening in South Africa. So um, South Africa people are very resilient. And if you see how they've um, handled being under the lockdown, Surprisingly, I mean, we have um, almost uh, basically the UK and South Africa have the same size population. And in South Africa, obviously, with a high level of poverty, many people, you'll have six people living in one small room. So there's no space, no walking allowed, no exercising, no taking your dog for a walk. You literally are not allowed to leave the house except for essentials. So it's a much more extreme lockdown than the UK. And yet people are still seeing the positive side. So that's something about the resilience of South Africans in general, which is fantastic. It is a wonderful thing. And, and final question, what is your ideal yes. quarantine wine? And it can't be one of yours. Okay, yes. So obviously we've been lucky. Um, and we have tried a lot of different wines. We've obviously got a supply of wines. Um, on the farm in South Africa, in Stellenbosch, we, um, last year in August, we planted our first vineyard of Assertico. It's a Greek variety. And we're very excited about this. So um, we've been trying a lot of Asserticos, different Asserticos from Santorini. And it's a, they're beautiful wines because they, um, it's a white variety for those of the listeners who maybe don't know what the variety is. But the beauty of it is it's got a steeliness, almost austere character when it's young. But as it ages, you get this lovely salinity, which is just, it's so good with food. If you like Mediterranean style food, it's a perfect pairing. So Gary and I have been drinking a lot of Asserticos, tasting to see which style we would like to make when our vineyards eventually come into um, into uh, into fruition, so it's quite exciting. Yeah, so that's, that's what fantastic. We've been doing. Thank you so mm. much, Kathy. Uh, uh, There's wonderful Greek. Lovely to have a Greek wine here, and yes. Santorini Assyrtiko, one of our favourite wines in the world. So, Kathy Jordan, we can't wait to to see that Assyrtiko from your estate too. Thank you very much for talking to us. Take care. Thanks, and stay safe. love Assertico, don't we? Mm. I mean, I, oh. I actually think it would be in my top five white grape varieties. Only top five? I think yeah. it'd be my top three. Top three? Yeah. Whew, what, wow. would be, what, what are your top three? Top three, uh, Chardonnay, Sauvignon, Riesling. So you do love a bit of Sauvignon, don't you? <laughs> I do, I do. I'm a Sauvignon tart. <laughs> I, th I think what, what about about me, you, it would be Chardonnay, Riesling uh, and Assertico. Oh my goodness. Well, mm. I mean, I, I have to say though, when we were in Santorini, if you remember, we had, we did try Assertico. Well, we had drank Assertico the entire time yeah. with everything from, I don't know, octopus to, to, to lamb. And, and it is just a brilliant wine because it just goes with everything. It's an amazing food wine, hugely underrated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, given, given it's mostly Greek, as we know, you know, it's going to be fascinating to, to see what Cathy does with it in, yeah. in South Africa. It's already Africa. interesting in Australia, isn't it? And, yeah. and it's being planted elsewhere. I think yeah. it's a grape that could go around the world. Yeah. It'd be amazing. But yeah. just moving back slightly, top three grape varieties. I like that idea. I like it, I think yeah. we should ask listeners. Top three white grape varieties. Listeners, please do send us in your top three white 
great varieties. Make it as controversial as you like. Please disagree with us. Justify yourselves. It'd be fascinating. Yeah, to tell do. us why. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on. I spoke to Charles Back, um, a prominent figure in South African wine who many people know. Uh, third generation vintner at Fairview Estate in Pal, also owner of Goats to Rome and Spice Root, all well-established brands with a good global visibility and distribution. Charles is a man famously unafraid of a challenge uh, and with an impish sense of humour. I asked him to set the scene for us. I'm sitting in an empty restaurant that's called the Goat Shed with not one visitor in it. I'm the only patron in the morning for breakfast. How are things in South Africa right now? Uh, I think South Africa from, from the, uh, the COVID virus has been quite well managed. Uh, I think our president Ramaphosa has done a great job. Uh, on implementing very difficult uh, strategies and managing to do it. Um, the only downside for us is that the lockdown includes the sale of any wine, be that for domestic market and for export. So from that perspective, it's been pretty hard and very difficult to get your head around. So talk to us a bit more about that, because this is absolutely key, obviously. Well, the fact is that uh, we have 500 people working together in our team, and you've got no sales, uh, and we continue paying the people. So you can imagine the the catastrophic effect it has on cash flow. And you said that um, President Ramaphosa has done, done a good job, but obviously you have, as, as an industry, had mixed messages, you say. How do you see the future? What's going to happen? Well, I, I mean, we've had a month's pause. And put into perspective, we've been making wine for 360-odd years. So we had one month's pause on the thing. It uh, has a, cat, a, cat, a catastrophic effect, but if it's lifted within a week's time, we can remedy that. But I think if it persists for more than two months or three months, then it's going to ruin the industry as we know it today, for sure. Yeah. Some people have been saying that this is, you know, it's already, already was a hard situation for wineries in the Cape, and, and this has made it, you know, even worse. But as you say, they're, they're, it's a fast-moving situation, isn't it? On the 1st of May, the president has said that some of the restrictions will ease. Now, it's still not exactly clear, is it, what that will mean for, for wine? I think the, the main problem is that not everybody understands the complications pertaining to wine. When they say didn't understand the harvest was taking place. So a lot of, a lot of it is to do with the lack of knowledge. So I think um, I, that's going to be rectified quite dramatically and quite quickly. And I think we will see the restrictions being lifted uh, relatively soon. So do you think that this is a simply a question of the government not really understanding the implications of the actions they've taken rather than other people are hinting at a, you know, a deeper, darker, perhaps uh, more political motives for trying to act, act against the, the wine industry in South Africa? No, I don't see that at all. Um, I know there's quite a lot of talk about that. Um, the fact that uh, the DA rules the Western Cape and that's why we've been targeted. I really don't believe that, that from President Ramaphosa himself that he would do anything to harm the amount of people that are involved in the wine business. I think that's just a conspiracy theory. Okay. Because and, and you are someone who's worked tirelessly over the years to spread a message of integri integrity and also inclusion in, in what you do in your activities. Yeah, it's been part of our family ethos since I inception, since my grandfather landed here about 100 years ago. So we try to do our best to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Um, and you, you said that you were talking from us to us from an, an empty restaurant, which is normally buzzing. I was there a few years ago. It's the most amazing thing. You uh, attract, you're one of the Cape's biggest tourist destinations, as far as I understand, aren't you? You have we were, yes. we were, yeah, you were. We were. <laughs> right, but, but let's, no, let's keep the positivity, Charles. Keep positivity. You are uh, and will be uh, about um, 300,000 visitors a year. One of your no, biggest we, we, I, single sales. Uh, we haven't. 
we haven't done the numbers, but uh, they could be between 300 and a half a million people a year between our different facilities. Uh, so tourism has been a, a big main driver. So that's all, but I mean, I don't see that coming right in a hurry. We actually just discussing how we're going to reinvent our restaurants because I think restaurants in the future are going to look completely different to what we understood them to be, at least for the foreseeable, I think, year or two. But what are your plans for the restaurants? I mean, you, you said you're going to have to ch sort of change things afterwards. I, I think I, think, uh, I looked at uh, a video clip uh, in China from what the restaurants look like there now, and they're so sparsely seated. You've got one table, and you've got two tables open, another person sitting at another table, and then the waiter on serving you looks like he's coming to remove your appendix. And it's uh, all dressed up in mop and gloves. So it doesn't create the atmosphere that's conducive to, to the relaxed dining, I'd imagine. So I, I think I want to do sort of more picnic because we've got space on the farms. So people, we can spread people out more than what you'd be able to do in suburbia and give them, uh, I think, platters with cheese and charcuterie, simple and homemade bread, and just simplify the whole offering and reduce the amount of staff that you would need in the kitchen because I do not think that you're going to be able to sustain the overheads of a full-on kitchen for restaurants. And um, just shifting focus slightly, how was the 2020 vintage in the end? Um, you know, we've, we've come from four years of drought. So we had four terrible years where our crops have been down by 40% for the last four years. So we've been able to supply now demand for the product globally. And this year is the first year that we had a decent crop and with really great quality. And, I've had a lot of, the fortunate thing about lockdown is I've been able to taste all my wines every day and without the risk of having to confront customers, just looking forward to sharing them with everybody. Absolutely. How else have you been lightening the mood during, during lockdown? Uh, well, wine goes a long way. I've got no problems with that. So, um, you know, we've got 800 hectares at, uh, around us. So I know every vine uh, on the farm at the moment because I mountain bike every day, go around the farm inspecting the vineyards. I do it on a bicycle, which is great. So I know that managed to get around quite a lot. In the evenings, my partner cooks lavish meals for me every night and we have copious amounts of good wine, which has been great. I, I've just realized I've been in lockdown all my life, so it hasn't changed my lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> and you're looking very fit and healthy as ever as you speak to us. So this, this combination of mountain biking and wine and lavish food consumption obviously is a good secret for life, Charles. So uh, final question, uh, what's your ideal quarantine wine? And it can't be one of yours. Oh dear, I had a, a <laughs> I've been going through all my old Rhone wines, okay? And I had, a, I think, a 25-year-old Chateau Neuf the other night, which was, and I had it with some, I did have some of my own cheese with it. I had some home-baked bread and a nice slice of brie, and it was amazing. It was, it was a Chateau Beaucastel. Do you remember the vintage? I do not. I'll have to go look on my Vivino to see what it is. But it was about, <laughs> it was, a, I think, a 2001 or something like that around there. It was, and it was stored in my cellar under good condition. It was amazing wine. I really enjoyed it. Charles, thank you very much for talking to us. My pleasure. So there we have it, the secret to lockdown survival, mountain biking and Bocastel. He's got it sorted, isn't he? He is brilliant, isn't he? I mean, I just, I loved his comment about waiters looking like they were going to remove your appendix. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, but, I mean, I suppose equally, I mean, he's got, 
a very serious point about the the future of of restaurants. Yeah, yeah, he does, he does. Uh, and talking of the future, and to keep things moving, uh, our last interviewee is Andrea Mullineau. Now she's San Franciscan, uh, Californian by birth but is now a leading winemaker on the South African scene, part of a, a formidable double act with her husband, Chris Mullineau, at Mullineau Wines and, and Liu Family Wines. Now, this is a perspective from a smaller, more artisanal producer with a different kind of take on the current situation. And I started by asking her how things are in South Africa. Yeah, so the, the government took a really hard stance, um, which is very positive from a health point of view on COVID-19. Um, hard lockdown, the... Additional restrictions, though, are essential complete prohibition. Um, so no alcohol sales, no alcohol movement, um, no exports. And so the, the lobbying bodies that, that support the wine business in South Africa are working very hard. So it's been you know, almost five weeks now of zero sales. So almost 10% of the year is gone. And how's that affected you financially? Um, <laughs> 10% of the year is gone. That's all you can say is, um, you know, just trying to keep people employed as much as possible. Um, originally, during the lockdown, they had initially stated that we weren't even allowed to go into the winery. So they said we weren't allowed to finish our harvest. So that was lifted after a few days, but it was pretty nerve wracking for a lot of people. You know, we finished the harvest personally in March. Uh, March 27th is when the lockdown started. But we still had wine on the skins, you know, we still had wine to take to barrel. And there were still wineries that were harvesting, which is just crazy to think that they were in the mindset that they weren't going to be allowed to finish harvesting. I think at the time there was still 30,000 tons hanging in South Africa. So, so you managed to finish the harvest, but since then the government has sort of gone back and said no, you know, no transportation, therefore no exports, no sales locally. What would you say to the government right now? What would, what would be your message to them? <laughs> so for me, what's really important is obviously protecting against the disease spread is, is super important. However, we do feel that the wine business can be run um, with all those protective measures in mind when it comes to social distancing and um, you know, being able to ensure minimum contact with disease. Um, but there's the amount of people that are affected. I mean, we estimate there's probably about 200,000, uh, not just direct employees, but their dependents as well that rely on the wine business in, in all capacities in South Africa. Um, so there's a huge amount of uh, potential unemployment, poverty, and all of the terrible things that come with that if wine sales are not allowed to be opened up. Um, and I totally respect the government's decision when it comes to previous bad health examples that have happened within the wine business, but there are ways to go forward to keep it under control, healthy distribution, um, and not to affect um, one of the biggest economy drivers in the Western Cape. But I'm going to ask you a final question, Andrea. Um, what is your ideal quarantine wine? And it can't be one of yours. Oh, geez. Um, I'm a real <laughs> sucker for, for Brunello's. <laughs> so... Um, I don't know, like a Biondi Santi with, with at least two decades on it. I would be pretty excited to be sipping that with, uh, we, we have our own cows on the property and they're just delicious and goony cattle. So just, just a nice steak and a Biondi Santi, be very excited. Sounds absolutely delicious. Andrea, thank you very much for talking to us. Thanks. Cheers.
So, Greek Assertico, mm-hmm. Chateau Neuve du Pape, and Brunello. Oh. How about that for diversity in our quarantine wine options? Yeah, it's, it's pretty enviable, isn't it? It is. I mean, it means to me that these, <laughs> these South African winemakers are certainly, well, enviably well travelled and, uh, yeah, and yeah. are well, well tasted. It's why their wines are so good, though, isn't it? They're, they're quite outward looking. And but yeah. I'm, 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 I have to admit to a little bit of jealousy. I think they drink, drink better than us. They put us to shame. Don't I they? think they definitely, by the sound of it, they definitely do. <laughs> all the world's fine wines end up. Isn't it? <laughs> anyway, um, I think that all draws things to a close, doesn't it, for this uh, wine survival guide special edition focus on South Africa. Um, thanks to Kathy, uh, Andrea, and Charles, as well as to you for listening. Um, and remember, please do support the cake producers by buying and enjoying their wines. Um, I think it's a, at the least it's a good excuse for a barbecue. It certainly Chop is. Chop and dot. Chop and dot. Let's <laughs> let's carry on the conversation on social media. Mm. Uh, on Instagram, we are Susie and Peter. And on Twitter, I'm at Susie Barry and he's at Wine Schools. Please su- subscribe so you don't miss out on all the action. And details of all the wines featured on this episode are on our website. Stay safe, keep your gloss topped up and cheers. <laughs>